I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there or meet them at a trade show or even have a conference call so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them now at 514-488-3618 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today we got Dennis Jarvis with us. He's the executive director of the Jefferson County, West Virginia Development Authority. Dennis, welcome. Thank you. A long-time listener, first-time participant, so I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like a talk show. There you go. Yes, and Dennis sir. is yeah. one of our movement members, so we're proud to have him as part of what we're doing with the movement. Dennis, why don't we start telling folks where Jefferson County is? When people think of West Virginia, they probably think of where the university is or the coal mines, and you're very close to Washington, D.C., so just tell these folks a little bit about where you are and a little bit about that community. We are the eastern gateway to the great state of West Virginia, 56,000 people in the Washington, D.C. MSA. We're within an hour and a half of Washington, nation's capital. We're within two hours of Baltimore, Inner Harbor. So that puts us within five hours of three quarters of the nation's population. We have Shepherd University. We have uh, several federal agencies here in the community, Summit Point Raceway. We're home to abolitionist L Works. And we're part of what is the flourishing, thriving Eastern Panhandle that makes up, comprises Jefferson, Berkeley, and Morgan counties. Our county has the uh, largest upswing of population in the state in the last 10 years. We have the highest educational rate and we have the highest median salary per capita income. So a little different than the other 52 counties when you take in Berkeley and Morgan, but I'm a son of southern west virginia you can hear my accent i'm proud to be back in the 304. well i know you're is appalachian state right aren't you an appalachian state guy i am an appalachian state guy i'm a season ticket holder for six years graduated from marshall university home of the thundering herd september 15th i went down and watched that uh, great showdown of two old southern conference foes from the fcs days between them on the field, there was four national championships, five national championships between the two universities and the legacy of a great 20-plus uh, year uh, rivalry renewed. 
didn't come out well for my Mountaineers, but I'm an alumni of Marshall, so it was one of those non-win days. So how in the world did you go to Marshall and end up being an Appalachian State fan? Real quick story. Ended up at Marshall because of opportunity for grad school and internship in the state capitol. Led me into economic development. Appalachian State, we went down on a motorcycle trip to Boone about 10 years ago. Went and watched Appalachian State and Montana play and ended up doing mini packages and then full-fledged season ticket holder in 2013. I haven't looked back. Great football culture, great part of the world, the headwaters of the New River, Watauga County, and a team named the Mountaineers and we're in black and gold. So you can't do too bad. Well, you know, y'all played down here. You make this New Orleans Bowl a lot. Who knows if we'll have a bowl or not this year. But Appalachian State's been down here several times. Two years in a row, beating UAB and Middle Tennessee State back-to-back. Yeah, that sounds Turn- right. Yeah. You know, three coaches in the last three years. Scott Satterfield moved on to uh, Louisville, won a bowl game. Lost one game last year. Elijah Drinkwitz went to Missouri. That's not going too well so far for him yet. And we're on a third coach who is a hometown boy from Charleston, West Virginia. Went to GW. Grew up under the tutelage of uh, one Jerry Moore. So not a bad pedigree for our new head coach. Yeah. Well, as far as Jefferson County, is Charlestown your most well-recognized city if folks are trying to place it? That seems to be the one I have heard of. Charlestown, you know, I tell people we walk in the footsteps of – those who came before us, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. I would say Harper's Ferry is right in line because that's the infamous scene of the raid on Harper's Ferry Arsenal from John Brown, Bloody Kansas, and the whole abolitionist movement. Really, if you want to get right at it, probably the zenith, the musings of war were right there in Harper's Ferry because if you come in, you go right to uh, the uh, hill at Boulder Heights. You look at where the uh, – encampment wise and it was several times it switched back and forth between the north and the south because of the the confluence of potomac and the uh shenandoah rivers in the railway so it's been very pivotal but i would say charlestown and harpers ferry are neck and neck yeah and that's a pretty part of the country i mean with all those streams and hills i bet this time of the year the leaves are starting to turn i bet it's real pretty this time of year oh it is our adopted state anthem is a country road to take me home that was not about West Virginia, but it just sounded better than Western Virginia. So, uh, you know, we got the confluence of the Shenandoah and Potomac, like to talk about, beautiful backdrop. It was real easy for me to decide to come back to West Virginia when I got invited to do a couple of interviews here in May. Talking about country roads take me home. I don't know how this happened, but uh, somehow it's like the St. Louis Blues hockey teams. They play it with about seven minutes left. Last year, the Blues won the Stanley Cup. This year, they didn't. And I went to those games, and they'd fire that song up about seven-minute timeout, and the whole crowd was saying, take me home to West Virginia, sitting right there in St. Louis, Missouri. I never did understand why that got to be such a big deal. Uh, because, well, you know that old adage, you can take the West Virginia out of the boy, but you can't take the boy out Must of the be. I mean, it was every Stanley Cup game they were singing it. So, well, talk about y'all's economy there. I know you've got a lot of commercial type stuff. You've also got casinos and horse racing and manufacturing, and you've got some of the federal government stuff being so close to D.C. So talk a little bit about y'all's economy. Oh, real quickly, you know, in the last two years, we were a great recipient of third U.S. plant for Dutch-based Rockwell. It's $150 million investment and 150 jobs. They're coming online, literally, and will be producing insulation products, building products 
in the first quarter, second quarter next year. You are right, horse track and gaming is huge here. We have Charlestown Racetrack, which is a subsidiary of Hollywood Casino, and it's old pin gambling kind of uh, footprint. Its employment has dropped about 40% because of COVID, but we were in the department head meeting last month and today, we're doing relatively well on tax projections compared to where our projections were and where we are. Tax collection from the racetrack is running about 15% behind projections. So if you look at that in the, the standpoint of COVID post pivot, we're doing as well as we can be with less people, but the same type of revenue coming in. Being in that DC marketplace, Northern Virginia, because Loudoun County is right across the river, we're seeing a progress, really a huge influx in residential housing. Just the last three weeks, a new 300 unit mixed use single family dwellings and townhomes was approved. The federal government agencies, it's an alphabet soup. We have USDA, Coast Guard, we have uh, Homeland Security, and we have a couple other initiatives. So it's a good mixture. We are a bedroom community for Northern Virginia and DC because the mark, the Maryland light rail comes in three times a day, Monday through Friday. You can catch it here or in Berkeley County. We're within 10 miles of Interstate 81. And if you know what's going on in Berkeley County, the largest Procter & Gamble plant in the world is being developed over there. And there's gonna be a campus that has about eight to 10,000 people working in it. And we're gonna see that pipeline come into us for that downstream, those tier three kind of initiatives. I'm thinking we are gonna see for the supply chain move forward with that. And we're seeing a real uptick and a swell in entrepreneurship here. Just in the last three weeks, we've had five visits with uh, entrepreneurs, and we're going to see our most growth is at zero to 10 with about a 150 to 300,000 investment. And we're going through a strategic plan here right now in Jefferson County. And that seems to be part of our thrust is uh, creating an entrepreneurial ecosystem that takes in ability for us to create a sustainable tax base, sustainable jobs and promoting the lifestyle that our citizens have grown accustomed to, which is very bucolic, pastoral, Norman Rockwell-esque. So, you know, we can look at that's the growth for our community. But, you know, it's fun when you've only been in a county four months. We sold two properties, closing next week on a small distribution center. We'll be closing in a month on a larger initiative. It'll be about 50 employees, close to 2 million investiture. And we've had a nice announcement. We'll be sending you potentially just a company coming in and making an offer on the building. It has been for this old West Virginia boy, four months of my head spinning. Just cause I'm back home. And the fact that we've got activities unheralded for me in my 20 plus year career in economic development. Thank you, Dennis. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back with a lot more with Dennis Jarvis right after this. I want to thank Location One. Some folks know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. Location One has, in my opinion, the best building and sites database in the economic development industry. I am often asked by economic developers, Chad, if you were an economic developer again, what would be the first thing you'd do? And it is without question, without question, first thing I'd do would be put my builders and sites on Lois. And let me tell you why that would be. Number one, 
I always did economic development in small to mid-sized towns, and one of our struggles was just getting eyeballs on our properties. That was our struggle. Lois overcomes that struggle for you. So the mistake I used to make is I would just put my buildings and sites on the state economic development database. Well, Every time I did economic development, I was close to a border. So I was basically bordered another state. And anybody looking for buildings just across the way in the other state wouldn't find my buildings because I only had it on my state economic development website. I couldn't have made a dumber move looking back, but hey, it's what I did. When you advertise your buildings and sites on Lois, it goes to a nationwide database. So prospects looking for a certain site or certain building in the whole country can find you based on the parameters they put in. If they're looking at a radius, they're probably going to find you if they're looking in the state next door. If your building or site is on Lois, it's also the most responsive friendly I have seen. So I love looking at buildings and sites on my iPad. I much rather look on my iPad when we're doing site selection work in the field than on my computer. Computer. And I have found Lois is basically the only big buildings and sites database I found that works well on my iPad. A lot of the other ones, they just don't work as well. They tear the thing down. They don't remember your, your search query. If you put in 50,000 feet and you back it out, it forgets it. They're just hard to deal with. Lois is not. It's easy to use. It's just as easy for economic developers as it is site selectors. It walks you through inserting your information. So it tells you, place your gas line information here. Place your water line information here so you don't have to guess. You don't have to know code to make this thing work. But most importantly, once you push save, once you enter your information, it's going to go on a nationwide database, which is going to get a ton, a ton of eyeballs on your builders and sites. Way more than you'd get on them on your own if you just put it on your website or advertise it on the State Economic Development website. It also inputs ESRI data for radiuses of your buildings and sites. So a prospect's not just looking at a building or site when they find your information. They can actually see information about your labor force. You don't even have to put it in there. It does it for you automatically. This is the best buildings and sites database I have found. I encourage you, go to location1.com, sign up for a demo, see how this thing works. Transition to location one. You'll be real happy you did. Well, don't y'all have the horse farms too and a bunch of ag business? I like those horse farms. I lived in Kentucky for a while, so I don't know if you've well, we got do. them quite as fancy as them, but you do have a little bit of that. You know, I think the horses and what you're accustomed to in central Kentucky in the bluegrass region there, I think the horses that we all see there are nowhere near the horses that you can't see. We have the West Virginia Breeders Classic going on at Charlestown Racetrack here in the next week. It is the gem of West Virginia horse farming and the thoroughbreds and the different geldings and things that race there. Also, it is a big community. This is the Apple Heritage Zone for the entire state of West Virginia. You know, it's still thriving, still flourishing. That's one thing we have breaking out of our strategic plan is how we create an ag initiative. We're looking at potential of two endeavors, one similar to a lady you had on from Alabama there last week. Yeah, from County, Alabama. Yeah, they've recruited this huge agricultural center. It's going to have rodeos and RV parks and all kind of stuff. Well, we're looking at two potentials, looking at a food co-op and a cold food distribution center, you know, a cold storage space. There has been a study conducted on the feasibility of creating one of those ag centers because we're right in an epicenter for that to occur. Northern Virginia, the Shenandoah Valley, we're at the apex of three states here, Virginia, Maryland, and Pennsylvania. 
And one of the huge catalysts for us in our economy is, is tourism. Between Harpers Ferry and the other amenities that we have in the region, we 25% of all taxable revenue for tourism begins in this state, starts right here in Jefferson County, West Virginia. The economic impact on the one in Chilton County, Alabama, which was Whitney Barlow, who was on our show a week or two ago. I mean, it's just incredible when you look at the impact it's going to have. I mean, it's going to also spur hotel developments and all kind of stuff around it just because of what's going on there. So, well, take us back. A boy raised in southwest West Virginia. Did you even know what economic development was or how'd you stumble into this? It's <laughs> a great question. I was uh, a legislative intern in the West Virginia State Senate working for then president of the Senate, Earl Wake Tomlin, and Truman Chafin, the Senate Majority Leader and Chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And one, Senator Tomlin went on to be governor later on, our last governor before Jim Justice. I was doing economic development initiatives, announcing water and sewer plants, working with community college to get grant funding for job training, helping constituents with certain issues. And I saw an opportunity for Deputy Director of Development Authority in the billion dollar coal fields of Logan County, West Virginia. That's home of Devil Lance Hatfield. You know the Hatfield McCoy's mm. feud. I had no idea that's what I was going to do in life, but I've been in trade over 20 years. I've practiced in Southern West Virginia, Central Virginia, and North Carolina. Uh, worked in the private sector for a company in Connecticut doing mining, mine equipment, underground safety initiative. And they brought me on because of that type of acumen I had working with state and federal agencies. But I was in higher ed for about seven years at Marshall. When you're working on soft money from year to year in the alphabet soup of life, it's a little loathsome. And I wanted to get back into local government. I was in Alta Vista for three years, four years rather, and we did really well. Who knew that I would be in this trade over 20 plus years? You help people every day. You go to church with them. You drink a beer with them at the local brewery, you talk about where they want to be and how they want to see the community change. So if you want to be an agent of change, be a provocateur of positivity, then you work in local government because I think the state and the federal government gets blurred and what's going on. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I enjoy your all's movement, being a part of this group, what you do for podcasts. It's that small to medium size rural America. That's who you and Alex are and your staff. You all cut your teeth in those kinds of places. And, you know, couldn't be a better place to live and work in small town America and help people change their lives and help businesses grow and retain. Thank you, Dennis. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back with a lot more with Dennis Jarvis right after this. On June 4th, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, which is really designed to do three different things. One, help economic developers improve their quality of lives by making more money. Two, helping economic development organizations land more deals. And three, by helping economic development organizations recruit jobs back home from China. You have probably seen emails of various different video courses that were sent out as part of the movement. And I'll tell you so far, the two most popular courses have been these. One, board training for economic development board members and elected officials. What are their proper roles and responsibilities? And more importantly, what their roles and responsibilities are not. And our other bestseller so far has been how to help small to mid-sized rural communities 
build a systemic machine-like program to land manufacturing plants, where they don't just land one manufacturing plant, but where they land many manufacturing plants. We are selling these just one right after the next. So one, thank you. We have actually sold about 300% more memberships and revenue than we anticipated we would sell at this point in time. So thank you to all of our members. If you've not joined the movement, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more about it. Thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement. You can either join on a monthly basis and receive all our content at once, or you can just buy one piece of content at a time. That's thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement. Well, I know you're as big a football fan as me, so as we wind down, uh, what kind of season are y'all after you lost to Marshall? Have you played again, or would they have a Bible with COVID, or what kind of season are they going to have? Well, it's been a blur. It's been 26 days since Appalachian State's been on the field. They played Campbell, the Fighting Camels, their third out-of-conference game. We're supposed to have started last Saturday with a conference play, not last Saturday, last Wednesday, with the University of Louisiana Lafayette, top 20 team. And then yeah, they're having the, a good season. Oh, they are. They are. And, uh, you know, we're supposed to play this coming Wednesday on the 14th to play the heated rivals from Statesboro, the Georgia Southern Eagles. Well, those games got both moved to our, uh, December. The COVID uh, pandemic has hit App State fervently. I mean, the last game we played against Campbell – they were moving a middle linebacker, Fred Shirk, freshman, over to running back to play. Mm. And I think he was actually doing Ironman football in the second half. Like I said, we're in the third year of three coaches, three different sets of doing what have you, this, that, and the other. I think the Sun Belt is catching up with Appalachian. You're seeing Coastal Carolina currently undefeated. University of Louisiana Lafayette goes on the road and beats Iowa State, who beat Oklahoma. Arkansas State went on the road and won against a Power Five. The Sun Belt is the most unappreciated conference of the G5, and I think they're up and comer. You know, it's been the places for people like Gus Malazan. He cut his teeth at Arkansas State before he went to Auburn. Oh, yeah, yeah. Scott Satterfield at Louisville cut his teeth at Appalachian State before he went to Louisville. And those are two coaches I can point to you that have been in the Sun Belt that have a – Huge degree of success at the next level. I get really tired of that G5, P5 kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, when I was in college, I interned in Lafayette, Louisiana, and they love the Raging Cajuns over there, and they've got a good program. And South Alabama just built a brand-new on-campus, beautiful stadium, so they're going to be coming along. And I think the Sun Belt, with the wins they've had this season, everybody's paying attention to them. I watched – I can't remember who Lafayette. might have been Georgia State. They call themselves now Louisiana. I still call them. Louisiana Lafayette, but they kicked like a 55-yard field goal at the buzzer. That was Georgia yeah. Southern. Yeah. They were really, they were beat and somehow drove down the field and kicked a 55-yard field. Right after the Appalachian-Campbell game, they interviewed Sean Clark, our head coach, and they said, Coach, guess what? Louisiana's undefeated because that was the next game. He said, what do you mean? He said they kicked a 55-yard field goal to beat Southern. He said, well, we don't care – who wins what, but when Georgia Southern lost, it's a good day. <laughs> so, well, I don't know what yeah, to make of my team. I don't know if Mississippi State, I, I mean, I, we may beat Alabama and turn around and lose to Kentucky. I don't know what to make of. I think it's really funny that the air raid makes its way to start Vegas. Your coach and Lane Kiffin coming back in the SEC, you really want to watch some great press conferences. 
watch Mike Leach in a press conference. He doesn't care to talk about anything, and he's straightforward and honest. Swing the sword is huge. And, you know, Arkansas was due one, and I quite honestly feel the future's bright for you all. You're doing this with a grad transfer right now. Just think about when he goes out and he gets his boys and his system. Your alma mater, this is a great time to be a bulldog. I'm telling you right now, the future's bright for y'all. Well, I hope you're right. Well, as we wind down, Dennis, anything you want to share with our listeners we might not ask you about? No. I mean, I can tell you, always check out our website, jcda.net. You'll see our new strategic plan coming online. It's our four-year working initiative. You'll see that I'm hopeful in the next three years we will come back and we will, you and I will sit around and lament the bowls or whom is playing whom, and we'll talk about the unprecedented growth and continual success that Jefferson County's had. I just appreciate being back home and appreciate being on your podcast, to be quite honestly. I'm a fervent listener. I don't miss an episode. All right. Thank you, sir. We appreciate you being here. I appreciate y'all. Be good.